As the reading today is from 1 Peter, (laughs) chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. And I know what you're thinking. And I agree with you totally. This is a very strange passage for the first Sunday after Christmas. Like me, you were expecting to hear about three kings. And then I could have told you that they weren't kings and there probably weren't three of them. But alas, no. So what do we have instead? We have something much more challenging this Sunday. So what have we got? We have got a letter of encouragement by Peter to some early Christians in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, who are being persecuted and going through a really tough time. Now, I've been reading this passage and thinking about it and wrestling with it all over Christmas. And it occurs to me that Peter is making two points. Firstly, that we can rejoice today for what is coming tomorrow, i.e. a place in heaven that is secured for us. Great. Secondly, that our sufferings give us the opportunity to test or prove our faith. So as a passage of encouragement, does it really work? Does it work for you? Perhaps the first point does. A secure place in heaven. But the second part seems to fall a little short of being encouraging. Testing our faith through our suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but it appeals to my head because that's how I think I should view it. But I'm not sure if I knew somebody who was going through a really tough time, if I phoned them up and said, ah, this is a test of your faith and a chance for you to prove how genuine it is. I'm not sure that they would be particularly keen to get my call. Certainly not next time. 
Maybe it depends on the person. Now, Jesus, he knew how to comfort. If we take the eight Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3 to 12, these are really good. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, and so on. But interestingly, right at the end of this passage, in verse 12, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. A perfect match for what Peter is saying in this passage. So to coin a phrase, is it jam tomorrow? Does anyone know where jam tomorrow comes from? Alice in Wonderland. comes from Alice in Wonderland, jam tomorrow. Let me set it in context for you. Alice says to the Queen, I don't care for jam. It's very good jam, said the Queen. Well, I don't want any today, at any rate. Well, you couldn't have had any even if you did want it, said the Queen. The rule is, jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never jam today. (laughs) Brilliant. So jam tomorrow speaks of something good that will never come. But in this letter from Peter, he tries to make it, in the first part, he tries to make it abundantly clear that These blessings, our salvation, are certain. He says of these blessings that they cannot be destroyed, they cannot be spoiled, and they cannot lose their beauty. And he goes on to say, and I'm just going to use the the message translation, gold can be destroyed, but the purity of your faith will bring you praise and glory and honour. And we can enjoy that. We can rejoice in that today. First part. Excellent. Where it gets tricky is when he says these, referring to suffering grief in all kinds of trials, have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. The promise of eternal life in heaven does not make our earthly journey any easier. So are these trials and tribulations sent by God to prove our faith, as Peter is suggesting? Are they sent to purify our faith, like the gold in the refiner's fire? Now, if so, what might that look like in reality? How might we be proven? Because surely this is not a passive act. The dictionary defines it as to establish the truth of genuineness by evidence. It is not simply enduring hardship or watching others suffer. Now I'd like to play you two clips and we're going to listen to Mother Teresa, somebody who probably witnessed firsthand 
some of um, the worst kinds of human suffering. They are both quite dated, so prepare to return back in time, but they're no less uh, relevant. The first one is she's being interviewed on Irish TV and she talks of dark times for her. The second one is she's at uh, St Aquinas College in America and she is delivering a speech to some new graduates and she is giving them encouragement as she is sending them out into the world. So we'll just watch those two clips. Now right through history, all the great saints, Teresa of Avila would come immediately to mind, had great doubts about their faith. They had great moments of absolute darkness when they wondered if there was a God at all. Have you ever had that darkness? We all have to go through it. Yes. But that is the chance, that is the time when we have to take greater grip and accept it to offer as a sign of purification of great and greater love. And that's, a, that's the cross at that time. When you say we have to take great grip, uh, what exactly do you do when you have a moment cling, of darkness? Cling to Christ, because he is the only answer. And how do you cling to Christ if you have had a moment of darkness and you doubt his very existence? Blind faith. And you've always had that faith? Yes. What do you say to people who come to you who say that they have no faith. They admire what you're doing because naturally their hearts go out to the poor and the sick and the dying. But they just couldn't do what you're doing because there is no Christ for them. I don't believe that there is any human being who doesn't believe in God unless they are mental. Even though they say but they don't. deep down in their heart there must be that faith uh, that there is God. Only it's maybe either it is covered or they are, as you say, in darkness and they can't see. And they have not got that complete uh, attachment to God. They don't know him sufficiently, maybe, but uh, that they have faith. And this is my prayer for you that you become real carriers of God's love in tenderness and love. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to love. Even when suffering comes, humiliation comes, pain comes, success comes, joy comes, remember, you are precious to Him. He loves you. And this is something that today when we are gathering together to proclaim the joy of being loved and the joy of loving. We hear so many terrible things happening, but never lose heart. We always thank God I can smile. At least you can smile, if nothing else. I never forget one day I met a, a lady who was dying of cancer. And I could see from the way she was struggling with a terrible pain. And I said to him, to her, I said, you know, this is but the kiss of Jesus, a sign that you have come so close to him on the cross that he can kiss you. And she joined her hands together and said, Mother Teresa, please tell Jesus to stop kissing me. (laughs) 
this, this is the joy of suffering, the kiss of Jesus. Do not be afraid to share even that joy of suffering with him. Because he will never give us more suffering than we are able to bear. I have seen that again and again with our poor people. We deal with thousands of people. People who die of hunger, of disease. People who die of loneliness, of being unwanted, unloved. And I have never yet heard one of them complain or curse. Once I picked up a man from the street, from an open drain, and I took him to our home, and he, he did not shout, he did not blame anybody, just said, I've lived like an animal in the street, but I'm going to die like an angel, loved and cared. Two, three hours after, he died with a big smile on his face. That was tenderness and love that came to him through the hands of those young sisters. Quite challenging. The joy of suffering is the kiss of Jesus. I am not even going to attempt to unpack that. Certainly not qualified. But one cannot listen to Mother Teresa and not reflect on the wondrous gift of loving and being loved. And maybe suffering gives us an overwhelming opportunity of both, to love and be loved. So back to Peter. If I'm allowed a little poetic license, perhaps proving our faith is equivalent to living out our faith or evidencing our faith. And in so doing, we get closer to God. And how do we live out our faith? As we heard earlier in the service, those commandments, love God, love one another. So the encouragement Peter has for us is where I believe he is also saying that our grief and sufferings are not without value. They are not without meaning. They prove the genuineness of faith and ultimately lead to praise, glory, and honour. In one commentary, I I read this, and I, I struggled with it, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. It says, Our Christianity depends upon our faith. The faith of good people is tried, that they themselves may have the comfort of it, God the glory of it, and others the benefit of it. They have the comfort of it, God the glory of it, and others the benefit of it. So I'm just going to finish with a true story that certainly speaks of that last point. During the Second World War, the German paratroopers invaded Crete. And when they landed at Melem, they were greeted by some villagers who came out with nothing more than hay scythes and kitchen knives. And the resistance, their resistance, led to disastrous consequences. Whole villages, the people were lined up and shot. But overlooking the airstrip today is an institute for peace and understanding 
that was created, that was founded by a man called Alexander Papadirus. Now, Papadirus was just six years old when the war started, and his home village was destroyed, and he was put in a concentration camp. And at the end of the war, it occurred to him that, or what he was convinced of, is that his people needed to let go of the hatred that the horrors of war had created. So to help this process, he created the Institute. And one day, while he was answering questions at the end of a lecture, somebody said, Papadirus, what is the meaning of life? So, a pretty weighty question. But he did answer it. And he went on to look in his wallet, and he took out a small round mirror and he held it up for everyone to see. During the war, when he was a small boy, he happened across a motorcycle crash and there were bits of mirror all over the ground. And he tried to put them together but couldn't. So what did he do? He got the the biggest piece and he scratched it against stones until he formed a small round mirror. He used it as a toy, and he was fascinated by the way he was able to reflect light into dark places, into crevices. And he kept the mirror with him all the way through his life. And over time, it became something to symbolize what he might do in his life. It became a metaphor for the meaning of his life. And he says, I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into dark places of the world, into black places in people's hearts, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I'm about. This is the meaning of life for me. So as we look forward into 2020, with hope and trepidation, it is almost certain that we and others will suffer some hardships. So let us go out today and into next year and prove our faith in demonstrations of love, secure in the knowledge that our blessings are untouchable and held for us in heaven. Amen.